Hi, my name's Tony Riddell. I just took Matt McCarthy's money, betting on the Seattle Seawolves, and this is Rugby Wrap-Up. Coming up next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Major League Rugby Talk. Brought to you by Friends of the British Council. Hey everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy at the Fantasy Sports Network, Studio 34 in New York City, talking rugby, and we are talking Major League Rugby after the dramatic final in San Diego. And what better way to do it with than with the commissioner and the deputy commissioner of the league, Mr. Dean Howes and Mr. Nick Benson. Gentlemen, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. We thank appreciate you. it. We're glad to be here. Good, good stuff. Dean, if I'm not mistaken, your solid credentials include about 19 years at Bristol Myers Squibb here in New York City, uh, the professional teams physicians group, sports capital partners. Yep, the partnership that was uh, centered here in New York. I became the Utah partner. We started Real Salt Lake. We held properties in St. Louis Blues. and You had uh, Real Salt Lake, right? right. Um, and now you've been drugged and dragged kicking and screaming by Nick into the commissioner's role of Major League Rugby. Yeah, I, I actually drugged Nick over <laughs> uh, as the rugby guy to kind of help me with this venture, but I had already you know, started the... Uh, uh, the activities to, right. to launch the league uh, right before Nick came. But Nick's been here almost since day one. And you seem sane. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Is he, he's, that, seems that, pretty... Mostly. That is old marbles. But, you know, I got to tell you, and I said this on the, on the MLR recap show that we had, the most impressive thing for me about you was the fact that you were in a suit and a tie in the sweltering heat in San Diego, and you were not sweating during that, that presentation. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. You know, because I was the only one in a suit. I was the only one in a suit and a tie. Yeah. Uh, and I was probably the only one not sweating because it was a hot, hot night. Uh, may, maybe that's because the coat hit it. But, but l- l- listen, this is major league. Right. And uh, I, I feel it's important that when we're representing the league, especially at the final game, that we, we look major league and we look like a major league commissioner. So... So I was thrilled to be It's big boy that. stuff. That's right. We're, we we wanted to dress like that. We dress like that, and we're we'll be at the next excellent uh, event looking and, just like that. And he, I, I had actually pointed out to you a couple of times at the at the uh, match that you were very sharply dressed. Well, thank you. <laughs> but getting to you, you're you're an interesting case too. You've been in politics. You've helped countries develop political organizations in South America, the Mideast. You've uh, combated famine. You've worked for the Manhattan District Attorney. And here you are now promoting rugby in the United States. Well, it was a, it was a campaign for, for Manhattan District Attorney, which, which, oh, okay. we, which, which we lost, unfortunately. But um, uh, yeah, I spent some time here doing that in uh, about 10 years um, in and out of politics, and then subsequently doing some uh, you know, political uh, development work overseas, working mostly with political parties. All right, gentlemen, let's get down to the nitty-gritty, okay? Uh, first season of Major League Rugby. What was the most pleasant surprise for you? Uh, I think the competition on the pitch uh, was a very pleasant surprise. The amount of effort that these young men put out, uh, the discipline that they had, uh, the, the fact that they just, you know, grind through all this stuff. It's, it represents rugby in its best form. And I think the final game showed it off even, even more so. So I would say the, the pleasant surprise is the, the level of play, the quality of play, the quali- 
quality, quite honestly, of our officials, although I'm sure there's a few team owners that would probably argue with that yeah. here and there, but there is in every league. Uh, so th- that was the, that was to me the most pleasant surprise is that we, we set to put out a high caliber product on the field and we did so. What was the most problematic thing for you guys? Um, everything in your roles. Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, what was m- m- most problematic are the things that that happen with a a, a new league, right? It's it's digging uh, deeper into your community, establishing your brands, establishing your relevance to the greater sports community. You know, the markets that we're in are competitive markets. They have other sports. Yeah. They have people can spend their dollars elsewhere. So. So, you know, what we, we are very well aware, aware of where we are and what we need to do, and, and we have not arrived uh, at, at the point where we can be satisfied. So, so when I say everything else, it's tongue-in-cheek, sure. but the truth is, is everything, including the quality of play and our players, needs to improve and have a constant improvement year over year. Expansion. We're adding, as far as I know, Rooney. Rugby United New York. Uh, we've got uh, potentially Chirana or the Ontario Arrows. You know, you got uh, Los Angeles. You've got Washington D.C. Uh, am I missing anything? Uh, y- yeah, th- there's a number that are that are just hovering around, but haven't made public announcements. But we probably have uh, two to three teams that will join in 2019. I do need to put an asterisk by this. You know, all the teams are still going through that vetting process. Sure. All of them still need to be voted on by the Board of Governors. You mean there's vetting in this league? There is. <laughs> and which surprises you why we're here, yeah. right? So, uh, how did yeah. we get in? Yeah. So, so Matt, but, but, you know, there is a process that we follow, uh, but we're at the final steps of that process with – we hope at least two, possibly three teams to join in 2019. It won't be more than three. It won't be, no, no. Um, and, and then we, but we, it could be as many as four as fa- or five that join the membership. Oh, and I forgot to mention Boston, right? Right, you did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, the next question then is, where are you getting these players, right? You have a certain salary cap, which is, a, this is kind of like a five-part question, I guess. You have a certain salary cap. You have an increased salary cap, then you have an expansion of players, and um, you know you have attrition versus with injury and all to the national teams, whether they be Canada, the United States, or wherever, because it's you know we're getting foreign-based players as well, which is great. So, are you worried about the product suffering if if you don't increase the salary cap enough to have guys paid so that you can survive these kinds of things? The short answer to your five-part question is yes. <laughs> so so uh, the longer answer is that, that you know, we, we have to have a process and a cadence, right? Because you need to grow, but you need to grow at the right rate and at the right time. So it looks like there's a lot of activity between year one and year two. Uh, between year three and year four, there won't be that much activity. And between year four and six, there'll probably be no increase in our in, in in the number of partners or in members that we have at the table in new markets say that again so in in between which years uh after 2020 after 2020 yeah. so 
So you're looking. What's the ideal for you guys in terms of numbers of team num- number of teams successfully handling their own market or their own franchise come 2021? Uh, for right now, for where we are right now, with the uh, ability to draw from the players that that fit within our boundaries, uh, 12 to 14 is the max. Okay. Right. After that, we're going to have to take a little time off, get our feet back under us. But it's it's also important that we have 12 to 14 to cover uh, the geography. Right. We have media partners that, that so we we want to have New York, we want to have Boston, we want to have Los Angeles, we want to have some of these critical markets that sure. that that uh that kind of complete our footprint on the media side of this thing so so um it, it's critical that we get to that 12 or 14 but after that we can take a breath and make sure that we can get our salary caps up we, we can keep the quality of play where it should be that we can balance our uh, domestic versus international players these are all things that are are important. We can also kind of take a step back and say, how is the competition fitting inside of the window that we've been given by our media partners? Do we have to split and have two divisions and the things that help us to kind of fit inside of a, a six-month uh, season? Because we do. Sure. Scheduling is going to be important. Uh, we're, we're hoping that the way that the international windows open up, they'll be opening up a little bit later next year is our hope and desire. And if that... All elusive uh, global rugby calendar, right? Right. The all-elusive global. It's like Sasquatch. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know what? Um, and you guys are probably closest to where any potential Sasquatch could be in Utah. And you ain't <laughs> seen one, have you? Not yet. No. That's the, he's wearing the global rugby calendar T-shirt running around the, the hills of, of Utah. Just outside Park City. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> now, but, you know, it's, criti- it's critical that we get a window of time, that we have a consistent window of time for our media partners. And... And listen, we're, we, we want them, our uh, players, to play for their national teams wherever they are. Uh, but we don't want it to be so disruptive to the league, and we certainly don't want it to be disruptive to the finals. So we're going to work on the calendar. And I think, everybody, I think everybody has the right incentives now to make that calendar a reality. All right, speaking of disruptive, we're going to have to take a quick break. But before we do, while we're on the calendar, let's talk schedule a little bit. Um, Schedule coming out uh, starting in January. Are we kicking off the regular season? We'll, we'll, we'll be kicking off in uh, in late January. Late January. Um, late January um, with at least uh, sort of a, a, a few games there. Um, probably, I think, on the 24th is the, the, the day we're targeting, but that's still um, that's not etched in stone yet. And then we'll um, you know push through uh, for a few months and hopefully wrap up on, on June 15th. I wanted to slip him a question to see if he was paying attention, if he knew his stuff. Yeah. He'll look like he's not paying attention, yeah. but he, he is. One of those. Yeah, okay. He's one of those. But we're paying attention to our producers downstairs who are signaling that we have to take a quick break. But we'll be right back with more Major League Rugby talk with the commish and the deputy commish right here on Rugby Wrap-Up. Don't go away. I've been blind since I was four, and I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste. And my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. It has the taste and the flavor. What do you think's on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. 
If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street. And we are back, and once again, thank you to our sponsors, and we are back again with the Commissioner of Major League Rugby, Mr. Dean House, and the Deputy Commissioner of Major League Rugby, Mr. Nick Benson. College eligibility for players, right? There are no, there's no minor league system for you guys. You have men's clubs. You've got potential to draw on foreign players that uh, aren't with a club at a, to- at a particular time, and you have college. And it's not an NCAA sport. Right? Did I say that right? NCAA sport. Um, and you've been familiar with major professional leagues prior to this, but this one doesn't have a minor league system. Players are getting mixed messages as college players. And this is, where I, this is my concern. If a guy comes up and plays for a team for two weeks because they have a need and he gets this exposure and he, and he just fills a gap, then he's goes back to his college and he finds out he's lost his eligibility. What, what are your feelings on that? Well, we don't control, um, we don't necessarily control the college eligibility. Um, and we don't necessarily have a say in, in, in what their rules are. Uh, when, you know, with that said, we, you know, we have had some initial conversations with at least the, the, the USA Rugby D1A, um, you, know, you know, commissioners. And, and you know, they've, they've made it clear that they, um, you know, they're going to follow the amateurism, the amateurism rules. So, Meaning and, he loses he or she loses their eligibility if they that's, play. That, that, that's that's that, that's right and and you know our, our intent is is to do our best to, to respect that well as a courthouse lawyer I could go to bat and say well what is your definition of professional rugby mr. USA rugby division one guy that's deciding or girl that's deciding this stuff and say uh, there is no minor league system yes the players are getting paid to play but you know you hear what I'm saying uh, Certainly. And And the kid's not playing rugby anymore. But this is a discussion that's global. It goes beyond rugby. It goes, you know, what's going on with with college uh, athletes and and are they can they be reimbursed and should they be reimbursed? And and you you know, this is a this is 10 shows really kind of arguing about this back and back and forth. Here's a simple answer for us. We're going to live with the rules that are out there. And, and, and obviously, if there is a player that we think can help our league and can go, go from the college ranks early, even if they lose their eligibility, then they, they will have that option to do so, and they will understand the consequences. We're not going to do anything shady. Right. We're not going to you know, uh, pay them in future. So, you know, it, it'll just be above the table, and we'll live within the rules that we have right now. We have rules on our international players, we'll, and we'll respect those and we have and we have uh, guidelines and restrictions on our salary cap and and that's critical that we stay disciplined to all of those things uh, both for the players but for the success and longevity of the league you know this is only successful if we give these young men uh, you know 10 15 years of of playing time or 12 years or whatever they can do keep their boots on as long as they possibly can so our goal is to have a sustainable business model that allows someone that wants to play rugby to continue to play rugby for as long as they can. Let's go to foreign player allowance. You had a team like Seattle. They had to battle with international allowances all season long. And, and you know, that's, that's part of what everybody has to deal with, right? Is there going to be an, an increase in the amount of foreign players allowed on each squad? And what's the philosophy there? 
Well, the philosophy is really driven by the fact that this is a domestic league and, and designed to help uh, domestic players and to become deeply rooted in our individual communities, which doesn't happen unless you have domestic players. So we're a domestic league. So the international players are, are really to kind of fill the gaps and to allow for a kind of a steeper competition, more technical competition that some of these foreign uh, young men bring to the, to the table for us. And so we have an allocation of those five per team right now. Right. And, and, and right now, the idea is to stay there. Uh, you know, just like in other leagues that have allocations like this, that can become currency. Seattle solved their problem by getting uh, allocations given to them, incremental allocations that other teams weren't going to use, and and there was you know an exchange of value there. Some, you know, th- that's for them to work out. But overall, I don't think we serve our our first goal, which is to be a domestic league and have USA Rugby better, have it better represented on the World Cup, have us win the World Cup. Hopefully at home in 2027 when we bring the World Cup here, like that. Matt, if you can use your influence to help I us like do that. I like that. I'm on it. So, so on that particular issue, uh, you know, you know, there might be a tweak here or a tweak there, but, 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 but that's our philosophy. We're a domestic league. I'm smirking a little bit because for me it's a little bit deja vu. Right here in that seat, I had a previous owner of the, the, the previous uh, professional iteration here in New York City. I've got the Ohio Aviators jersey over there. His, his first foray into that or his, his first feelings were, this is a domestic league, I'm working with USA Rugby. Things have dramatically changed since that time. And there were some things that may or may not have been misleading for him or whatever. But I'm just, that's why I was kind of smiling because it was literally, I was like, wow, this, this sounds the same. But it's, it is different. It's not one owner. It's groups of owners and franchises. So for me, A, if the salary cap is X, who oversees that? And other than everybody saying they're adhering to it, how do you truly watch this thing? Because people, you know, people are saying things like, hey, we could skirt it this way. We can give this guy an assistant job there. We can do this and that and that. So. Yeah. Yeah, how do you define and, it, and how do you how do you oversee it? Well, and, and a couple of things. Number one, as a single entity, so you know, as you know, so all the owners own the league, and they own a, a portion of that league. So, and remember, every player is under contract with the league. I sign the contract, not necessarily we, the organization. We pay them. Okay. So, so, so to stay within the salary guidelines as dictated by the contract, pretty easy. We administrate it uh, all the way from A to Z. Can somebody skirt it? it? You know this. In politics and in sports, anytime there's a rule, everybody's you know, immediately trying to look for ways to break the rule and get around the rule or, or your word, skirt the, the, the rule. It would seem it would be pretty obvious. Yeah. So, right? so you know what? That's going to happen, but it's not going to happen without people knowing it, Right. Um, if somebody is skirting, if somebody is doing something outside of the rules blatantly, this is not a world that holds a secret very well. Uh, if, if it was, it wouldn't be nearly as entertaining as, as it is. You probably wouldn't even have a job if we could hold a secret. No. So, I actually so, do hold secrets. That's my problem. I should probably hold less. No, no, as long as you're getting them and being able to use right. them. That's- but we, you know, so it, we have capitalism here, and I've said this a number of times. The people about the clash of, you know, if the, if the giant awakens, folks, 
we have a different way of doing things here in America. You know, fans of sports franchises are not going to fully understand that my owner can't just sign so and so, right? And that you know, we have the question of uh, um, expansion by some of the other professional leagues out there. We've heard rumors of Pro 14 coming over here, Premiership coming over here, Super Rugby coming over here. I want to ask you, A, if you think that's going to be a problem if one of those franchises comes over and how you'd work with them, and B, um, assuage, fears, assuage fears of fans that their team owner won't be in control of their franchise. Well, listen, it's to set up the right process and then be disciplined enough to follow that process. It's, as, it's really as simple as that. And we believe in our business model. We believe that the single entity is the way to go. And, and think about that. As a single entity, we give an aspirational destination to every kid in America playing rugby to play rugby for as long as they want to play rugby. Uh, we also give, right now, our nine members, uh, seven of them playing, we give them the opportunity to control their own marketplace and go deep into that marketplace because that's where they live, that's where they breathe, that's where their brands uh, hold the greatest amount of, of, of leverage. And, and you know what? No foreign entity coming into the United States can do that Capitalize same thing. On that. Yeah. Can they come in and have a great event? Sure, they can have a great event. Can they come in and build an academy? Can they come in and, and employ domestic players? Can they come in here and make the Eagles better? Can they come in here and have something that's sustainable as a business model? You know, those are the questions that they have to ask themselves. And by coming to the, this country where, where many people are under the impression that money is just flowing down some river and you just put a bucket in it. Right. But there's a lot of competition here. This is, this is not the grass is always greener. This sure. is a very competitive environment, and it rewards those that are disciplined and set themselves up correctly. Um, and I think that means domestically. That means inside your market. That means getting kids to play, 8- to 12-year-olds to play, so that, so that, so that when they turn uh, 18 and 22 or whatever age they decide to turn pro, that they can. So, so um, am I... Am I worried about them? Uh, no, I, 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 I respect what they're doing. I wish them all the success in, in the world, but I can't, I can't spend time Point worrying about. about somebody else's operation. It, but I have faith that if I do my operation correctly, if we do what we're supposed to do with these members that are members, they're partners right. uh, with one another, if we all stay disciplined to that process, that, that, you know, that we're in control of our own destiny. Well, this is exciting. This is exciting. It's, uh, it's been educational for me, and unfortunately, we're basically out of time. Um, I am, I'm going to put the last tough question on your shoulders right here. Sanction from USA Rugby? <laughs> um, Go ahead, Nick. Answer that. <laughs> Thank you. No, so you know we um, we've had a great a great relationship and a great rapport uh, with USA Rugby for, for for some time now. I think that you know we, um, we we continue to work with them, collaborate with them. Right now, they have some some legal issues that they're sorting through, and and the best thing uh, we think for us and for them is is to allow them to work through that process, um, and then you know reengage once they're done. Fair enough. You guys have been great. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, offering to answer some questions that uh, weren't weren't softballs, right? And uh, you answered uh, to my satisfaction, at least. I'm sure I'm going to get criticized for not asking you tougher questions, but get your own show. And that, <laughs> on that note, 
I want to thank Commissioner Dean Howes and Deputy Commissioner Nick Benson. Thanks, all. I'm Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up here in New York at the Fantasy Sports Network, Studio 34, talking Major League Rugby, ladies and gentlemen, signing off.